Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerzday, November 21st, 2022. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. On the show today, news, listener questions, and a brand new set of trip planning survey questions from Disney. Then in our main segment, Jim continues the story of when the McDonald's restaurant chain proposed a new attraction for Disneyland. And judging from the emails we got this week, a lot of y'all have really fun memories of McDonald's fries in the parks. <laughs> Let's get started by bringing in the man who refers to trail mix as the M&M's obstacle course. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? It's going well, Len. And are you familiar with GORP? I am both now not familiar and slightly terrified about what you're going to say, Jim. Go ahead. Okay. Gorp. Is well, this, wait, no, no, no. Hold on. This is the Robin Williams movie, right? <laughs> the world no, according no, to Gorp. No, 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 not the one based on the John Irving book. All right. All right. Go ahead. Go ahead. Gorp is good old raisins and peanuts, a early precursor of, of trail mix that, of course, we being Americans, we then changed up. I, 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 Added candy? <laughs> well, no, that's it exactly. That's, you know, I remember 25 years ago, this, this holiday season was my first trip to Nancy's parents' house. But one of the things I encountered at the Stadler's home in Carnesville, Georgia, for the first time was Gorp. And it was one of these things where, again, it's Raisins, peanuts, M&Ms, I want to say cashews. And, it, it, you know, it, it was just one of these things where at every Stadler family event we'd go to, there'd be the bowl of gorp. And, and the very thing you mentioned, the, the M&M obstacle course is like, okay, I'll just, I'll take the yeah. stuff out that I, I want to eat. And evidently that was a tremendous faux pas. You know? Yeah, that's uh, that's like a uh, uh, doing something wrong at a state dinner, like eating with the wrong fork, right? There we go. There we go. That and... I don't think my, my mother-in-law, that, that that was the trip where I also finished her jigsaw puzzle on her that she'd been working on for months. And I, I don't think Mary Stadler ever forgave me. I'm amazed you got married. <laughs> wow. You catch wow, him at that Jim. weak moment, Len. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, her will to live was ebbing. Was that it? And you're like, fine, whatever. She needs someone. <laughs> there we go. I'm not going to be around forever to follow her. All right. <laughs> Wow. All right. Well, Nancy's a lucky woman, Jim. So I keep telling her. I, I, it's maybe someday <laughs> she'll believe it. All right, Jim. Let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers E. Bubar, Jonathan Pascal, Jetson VDE, and Dom Provenzano, and longtime subscribers Pamela Smith, Tonya Cantrell, and Corey at Synergy Digital. Jim, these are the makeup, wardrobe, and sound artists who make sure you look and sound your best when you're getting drinks at the Silver Screen Spirits Pool Bar at Disney's All-Star Movies Resort. They say they wish more people knew about this free service, especially since they've got trained poodles on standby for that perfect Instagram vacation reel. True story. Last time I was in there, they came at me with a roller. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Get the heavy-duty makeup. Oh, this guy needs help. So. Plaster of Paris. There Cover this pores. All right, folks, let's do the news. The Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. All right, Jimmy, you and I are doing the second annual Gingerbread Challenge in Walt Disney World starting mm -hmm. Friday, December 2nd. We're doing a live podcast to kick all of that off mm -hmm. on December 2nd, and tickets are available at tinyurl.com slash gingerbreaddish. Jim, I mentioned this for a couple of reasons. One, I've now got my outfit for one part of the event, which includes a leather cap, 
hint, racing goggles. Mm -hmm. So super excited. Sam Carter, uh, Disney artist who does amazing stuff, created a Christmas Aloha shirt that people are going to be able to see from space, Lynn. (laughs) Are you sure this isn't radioactive? (laughs) No, really. Just stand here while we get the Geiger counter, if you don't mind, sir. There we go. So (laughs) I ordered it, and I get every day I run out to the post office box. It's my shirt here. (laughs) Can you, because it's getting dark early, can you see the mailbox glowing from within? Now I know what to look for. Okay. (laughs) Then then you know it's there. Exactly. There we go. Exactly. All right, Jim, lots of news coming out of Disney this week. First up, Disney's announced a return to park-specific pricing Mm -hmm. for one-day tickets. The new pricing starts December 8th, Mm -hmm. and it goes like this. Uh, Disney's Animal Kingdom prices will range from $109 to $159 plus tax. Jim, that's actually the current ticket price range, I believe, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Disney's Hollywood Studios goes from $124 to $179. That's actually the second most expensive park. We'll get to the others in a second. Mm-hmm. Epcot goes from $114 to $179. Mm-hmm. And the Magic Kingdom goes from $124 to $189. So I think, Jim, with tax, that's a little over $200 for one day in the park. Now, the good news is here, uh, one-day ticket sales are probably less than 10% of all ticket sales. So this mm-hmm. doesn't affect that many people. Also, uh, those tickets automatically come with park reservations. So you don't have to worry about buying a ticket and then not being able to get into the park that you want. And Jim, I think Disney did this too, so they don't have to do refunds. Mm-hmm. You can't get into the Magic Kingdom. And Jim, this also solves the problem of Disney artificially capping the supply of Magic Kingdom park reservations when they had extra labor capacity at the other parks and needed to move guests over. Because the way that they were doing it before December 8th was basically shutting off Magic Kingdom park reservations, forcing guests with one-day tickets. To go elsewhere. So this is actually a, an interesting way of addressing this. I think this is actually more fair okay. uh, too. Also, Jim, isn't it kind of amazing that uh, you will automatically get park reservations if you're willing to pay $189? <laughs> amazing shocked, how that works. I'm trying to, here, I, you know, I will do you this favor. <laughs> you give me a pile of money. So I'm I'm not sure how this happened, Jim, but I am just grateful that it that it is. So that's good. Uh, we're positive spinning again, are we? Okay. <laughs> they found a way, Jim, to make it so that if you buy a ticket, uh-huh. let's not let's not worry about price, Jim, because what is money in the context of happiness? But they found a way mm-hmm. to make sure that you get a park reservation if a ticket is available, and we should all be happy with that. Fair. All right. Okay. Disney's also announced an increase for annual passes in Walt Disney World and Disneyland. Mm-hmm. As a reminder, uh, annual passes, new annual passes are not on sale for Walt Disney World. And our friend Scott Gustin heard from Disney that new APs are not likely to return before the end of the year. Still, if they were to be available, the Incredipass is now uh, $1,400, mm-hmm. up from $1,300, so a $100 increase. The Sorcerer's Pass is $970. It was previously $900, so $70 increase. The Pirate Pass, $750, previously $700, so $50 increase. And the Pixie Dust Pass is still $400, which has not changed. Over in Disneyland, uh, annual pass sales have resumed for some passes. The Inspire Key Pass is $1,600. The Believe Key is uh, $1,100. The Enchant Key uh, is available for renews only still. And the Imagine Key is now $450. So that's good. They're going on sale. And Jim, from what I understand, the uh, virtual queue to get in line for Disneyland annual passes was actually shorter than that for Taylor Swift concert tickets (laughs) this week. So... It's a win all the way around here. Oh, well, <laughs> wow. I, I love how you did that. You got off the Titanic and got on the Andrea Doria. <laughs> wow. Very impressed. Looking, 
Looking for positive there. Actually, uh, uh, Hannah, my daughter, got us tickets to the first show for the Taylor Swift concert series with her friend Natalie. So I won't say what we paid for the tickets, but mm-hmm. I went immediately on to StubHub because mm-hmm. I've heard all of the consternation. And the tickets in our section are going for $8,500 each. And I'm thinking, Hannah, you could go to the concert. Or you could buy a house. Like, tell me, tell me what you want to do here, and I'm, I'm, I will support either decision. Like, you tell me, you tell me what you want to do. Yeah, amazing. amazing. Wow. All right, Jim. Other big news out of the Disney Cruise Line. Mm-hmm. Disney has acquired the world's largest cruise ship. Have you seen this? I just saw the news break yesterday about this. Yeah, there was speculation earlier this month that this deal. We was talked about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. We talked about it. Mm-hmm. So the ship had been um, started mm-hmm. by a, uh, a Chinese company, uh, mm-hmm. but then they ran out of money before they finished. So the exterior of the ship mm-hmm. um, had been finished, but it uh, it is a nine thousand passenger ship, the largest in the world. But when the company went bankrupt, Mm -hmm. Disney and a few other, uh, I guess, cruise companies kicked the tires on what it would cost to purchase it. And Disney Mm -hmm. actually made the purchase, announcing it yesterday. So it'll have around 6,000 passengers Mm -hmm. with around 2,300 crew members. A couple of interesting things here, though, Jim. Mm -hmm. It'll set sail in 2025 and is an addition to the other two cruise ships that Disney's already said that they're going to launch. Now, this ship will be based outside of the United States. Yeah. And so I think everyone thinks that that, that means China because mm-hmm. it was originally built for the China market. Mm-hmm. But the other thing I would, I would say is this. Um, I think technically all of Disney ships are based outside of the United States, mm-hmm. right? Because they're, they're flagged by some other country. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I think, I think in this case it means we're going to sell this one uh, in Asia. Mm-hmm. And I got to say though, Jim, I love a big ship. I am super excited about this ship, which, by the way, I have um, nicknamed the Mega Chonk. <laughs> if you're familiar with the cat sizing scale, yes, right. the <laughs> The cat sizing scale for um, larger cats goes Chonk, Mega Chonk, and oh lord, he's coming, right? <laughs> so I have nicknamed the ship the Mega Chonk, and uh, and then the the tagline is oh lord, he cruising. <laughs> Or she. It's actually a ship, so we should say she. But I'm 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 irrationally excited for this. Like I will if it, if this thing goes out of out of China, I will fly to China to get on this ship. I love a big boat. I am super excited to see what they do here. So this is at, at six thousand passengers, it'll be fifty percent larger than the largest yeah. ship that Disney has, which is the Wish, which carries four thousand. They had largely finished the exterior of the ship. Yeah. And the interior is wide open, yeah. Yeah. The ship, when completed after the Imagineers mm-hmm. weighed in, will feature innovative Disney experiences, and mm-hmm. the exterior will be adorned with the, the, the typical Mickey Mouse colors of the fleet. It'll have the detailing, but again, the Imagineers haven't worked with this much room before, and taking a ship that was supposed to carry 9,000 passengers, dropping the load to six, and then having mm-hmm. the standard one crew member basically for every two, two-point-something passengers. Yeah, and they'll have that still, yeah. Everything I've heard from folks at the company was the effect of, yeah, we've never done this before. We've never taken right. on somebody else's boat. But the pri- it was just too big an opportunity and such a great price to pass up. Yeah, penny, pennies on the dollar. Yeah. I'm excited for a couple of reasons on the inside, which again hasn't been done yet. But the original concept art, mm-hmm. uh, our friend Scott Sanders over at the DCL blog says the original interior concept art showed escalators. <laughs> which I am I am irrationally excited about. Also, the the thing that I like is they've now got essentially three years. Mm-hmm. 
to put things in place. And I think that Imagineering does some of its best work under pressure. <laughs> I honestly do. Like, I think if you think about like some of the classic rides in Disneyland that came about because they needed to put something there to open it, mm-hmm. but they became opening day, you know, attractions so that, that are, you know, that'll live on forever. Jungle Cruise, you know, as an example. I think there's an opportunity here for Disney to listen to ideas that they would, that they would not normally listen to in Imagineering and try out a bunch of new things. I don't expect everything to succeed, Mm -hmm. but I would be shocked if on this ship, we don't go on there and say, Oh my God, how did this get on the ship? I love it. Right. I am, I am super looking forward to this. The fact that this is going to be stationed or home ported on the other side of the planet, it still feels like this is worth getting on a plane just to find out what they would do with this much. Yeah. You know, the, the, again, we're in a weird sort of way, we're back to the Florida story, Len. This yeah. is Disney with the blessing of size. What are they yeah. going to do with this much room on a boat? Yeah, I am, I am really excited to see it. The, uh, the other good news, uh, Meyer Werft is, uh, is managing mm-hmm. the remaining construction, and it means that hundreds of shipbuilding employees uh, still get uh, to keep their jobs. So that's great. Really, really good. Super happy for Disney on this. I'm, I'm really excited about it. Okay. All right, Jim, on to surveys. Our friend Lisa sent in a trip planning survey she got from Disney Visa about an upcoming visit. And Jim, mm-hmm. I'm excited about this too because there are questions here that we either haven't seen in a very long time mm-hmm. or that are completely new. And I want to get your thoughts on them. Okay. Here we go. Jim, the first question here that I thought was notable was this. What factors had the most influence on your decision to stay in a Walt Disney World Resort Hotel between December and March of 2023? Please allocate 100 points between the factors listed here, giving the most points to those you think most important. And so one option was uh, complimentary transportation to and from the theme parks, convenience to get to the theme parks, the cost savings of the package. I expect the theme parks to be less crowded. I want to be immersed in the, quote, Disney magic. And I'm here to celebrate a special occasion, a birthday, anniversary, graduation, et cetera, or other factor. And so Lisa had put as the most important factors the cost savings of the package Mm -hmm. and that she expected the theme parks to be less crowded, giving both of those 30 points each and everything else 10 points uh, each on that list. And so the next question after that was a follow-up. And it said, below is a list of specific aspects of this special offer. Please place them in order of how important each was to you in deciding to book the offer by clicking on the most important item first, then the next most important item, and so on. And so the items that Lisa clicked were uh, convenience of the package. In other words, putting the ticket and room bundled together for one price. Mm -hmm. The cost savings of the room and the offer travel period was convenient for my needs. And so I like these two questions, Jim, for a couple of reasons. One is, it's allowing Disney to figure out what's really important to people when they book by giving points and telling people to click in order of importance, right? Disney's able to say, mm-hmm. you know, these specific factors are most important to people for, for booking travel vacations. These things are less important. And so they can do things like customize their marketing messages and they can also figure out where discounts are needed and where discounts are not needed, right? Look when it ends, December 30th, 2023. Isn't that the tail end of the 50th anniversary celebration? It's uh, March 30th. Uh, March 30th, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it is. Um, it's also sort of, I think the next week is Easter, is that right? Okay, okay. Yeah, but uh, sort of that's the end of a uh, spring break uh, week, yeah. But, you know, the, uh, the idea that 
Lisa did not put as a high priority mm-hmm. complementary transportation to and from the theme parks or convenience mm-hmm. to get to the theme parks. It means that they might not offer discounts on resorts that are farther away. Like why would you put Animal Kingdom Lodge on a discount if convenience and complementary transportation aren't that important to you, right? Mm. The next one I like because it also involves questions about decision making. Mm. Before learning of this offer, had you already decided to visit Walt Disney World? Yes or no? Before learning of this offer, had you chosen a date for that visit? Yes or no? Before learning of this offer, had you already booked a room and had you already purchased a ticket? Mm-hmm. And those are interesting because of the follow-up questions, Jim, mm-hmm. that come from that. And the follow-up question is, was your originally planned date the same as the date of your upcoming trip or did it change? And your two options here mm-hmm. are my upcoming trip is the same date as originally planned or the date changed. And the reason why I think this is important, Jim, is every time Mm -hmm. your vacation date changes, it's an opportunity for you to book something else, right? Once you're committed to Disney, you're committed, right? But if you've canceled your trip, and and the reason why I say this is Laurel and I just did this today. Um, Laurel's got a spring break coming up in March Mm -hmm. and she wants to go on a celebrity cruise. And so I looked for dates on the celebrity cruise. um, And it turns out that there is actually one cruise that exactly fits her spring break dates. But I looked at it and I said, you know, that means that you would, we would fly out the night, the last night of your school. Mm -hmm. And we would get back the night before you had to go back to school again. Mm -hmm. Let me just check what the Disney wish is doing that week. Mm -hmm. Right. Because, We had a plan and we knew what we wanted to do, but now we can also talk about options. And I think that's where this question from Disney about your originally planned date and whether it changed is important. And the question here sort of leads Disney to ask this question. If you're just booking the same trip, Hmm. then we're getting the money that we would have got anyway. Hmm. But if the money was up for grabs once again and we had to re-win it, Hmm. that's important to know for the metrics around how we measure success for these offers, right? True. All right. Here's what I love on the uh, the next set of questions. Our records show that for your upcoming trip, you'll be staying at Disney's Caribbean Beach Resort. When booking your trip, was this hotel your first choice? Yes, no, I don't have a preference. Mm-hmm. And the answer was no. Mm-hmm. So the next question, you know where this is going, Jim, is what was your first choice mm-hmm. hotel? And Lisa said it was Yacht Club. Okay. Immediately, Disney asked, and why didn't you book at Yacht Club? And there are five options. The Mm -hmm. options are, it wasn't available at the time where the room type I wanted wasn't available. Mm -hmm. The hotel was out of my price range, and that's what Lisa picked. Um, My first choice hotel had a worse, lower, or no discount. Mm -hmm. uh, And the first choice hotel wouldn't fit my party size. Mm -hmm. And I would love to know, Jim, again, going back to the concept of this offer is saving a vacation Mm-hmm. that Disney might have lost to somewhere else. She wanted to stay at Yacht Club, couldn't yep. afford Yacht Club, mm-hmm. decided to go to, to Caribbean Beach. Again, even though, you know, Disney, she ended up st- going to Disney and was originally planning to go to Disney anyway. Mm-hmm. I would say that based on the results of this survey, that offer saved a vacation and saved revenue for Disney. What do you think? Absolutely. Though I'm kind of intrigued that she went from wanting to get into the Yacht Club and and mm-hmm. then opting to go to the Caribbean Beach okay. Resort. What do those two have in common, Jim? There we go. Epcot. Epcot. Skyliner. Skyliner. Sky- oh, my God. You're right. Yes. yes. Skyliner. Yes. Okay. Not an explicit question in this survey, but somebody's got to be thinking of that, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. 
All right. And also, there's a new question in this survey. Mm -hmm. Which of the following statements best describes how you think about mm -hmm. Walt Disney World Resort Hotels in terms of price versus the appeal of the resort itself? Mm -hmm. The theming, the decor, the amenities. When deciding which resort to book. And I've never seen this question before. This is new. Mm -hmm. The resort's appeal is the single most important factor in choosing to stay there, regardless of price. Mm -hmm. And I would love to meet the people and be adopted by whoever <laughs> checks that box. Okay. okay. The resort's appeal is extremely important, but price still plays a part in my decision. Mm -hmm. And Lisa picked, I consider both the resort's appeal and the price equally mm -hmm. in my decision. I think that's probably the answer that everyone gives. Mm -hmm. Price is a primary consideration, but the resort still has to meet certain standards before I'll stay there. And then price is the single most important thing I consider. I'm willing to compromise a lot on the resort's appeal in order to stay at a certain price range. I'm not entirely sure that many Disney resort guests mm -hmm. are checking that last box. I mean, you would have to be staying at the all-star music or, or all-star sports for that, the least expensive Mm -hmm. of the of the Disney resorts. But man, I'd love to see how this question breaks out. The very last uh, question there, the price is the most single uh, important thing I consider. I mean, mm -hmm. if we hit the way back yeah. for the 1980s when, you know, Michael Eisner came through the door and mm -hmm. just the whole notion of looking at all the money that, that was rolling off the table and going out to yeah. International Drive or, or, or 192. And kind of interesting, Dick Nunes, who was driving the bus during that period, it's like, well, we want to be good neighbors. We make a lot of money. At, at, you know, I mean, we offer the campground. We've got the monorail resorts. And, you know, as far as Michael was concerned, it's like, no, this <laughs> we're about to make this a walled city. And yeah, and nothing succeeds like excess. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Uh, three, three last questions, which I think are are all super interesting too. Mm -hmm. Which of the following statements regarding the discounted package offer mm -hmm. do you agree with most? Please select only one. Mm -hmm. The discount offer is nice to have, but I would still be visiting anyway and staying in a Walt Disney World Resort hotel, even if I had to pay the non-discounted rate for that resort. Mm -hmm. I tend to consider the entire trip cost when deciding to visit, not just accommodations. So if needed, I'll stay in less expensive accommodations in order to keep the total trip cost under a certain amount. And this is what Lisa checked. And I suspect mm -hmm. this is what most people pick. They, they have a number in their head mm -hmm. that they're not willing to go over and, and they sort of manage everything to that. Mm -hmm. And the, the only question is like, what do they prioritize in that? Like, would you prioritize very comfortable transportation options like first class mm -hmm. over a hotel? Or would you prefer a less expensive hotel on a longer trip, right? So if you have a specific number in mind, the question then would be, would you prioritize in terms of components that make up that cost? Right? Two other options. I generally won't visit or stay in a Walt Disney World Resort hotel unless I get some sort of discount or deal. And Jim, we see this mm -hmm. with third-party ticket brokers. There are people who will not visit Walt Disney World mm -hmm. unless they get a discount on tickets. And Disney's loathe to offer ticket discounts to the general public. So they use third-party wholesalers to sell the same tickets that they sell at the gates because they know that there are people like this who will check this box. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. The money I saved from the discount offer is what allowed me to afford this trip. I wouldn't be visiting without it. All right. So that's, uh, that's also a good option to know. Mm -hmm. the, uh, and there are two questions related to this, the last two questions of this survey, mm -hmm. um, that going back to my original hypothesis here, that these discounts are saving some trips for Disney. Mm -hmm. Questions go like this. How many different nights will you be staying at Disney's Caribbean Beach Resort for your upcoming trip? And Lisa answered four. Mm -hmm. And the next question was, before the offer, mm -hmm. how many nights were you planning to stay at Walt Disney World? And Jim, she said two. Ooh. 
So Disney got, you know, they had to, they had to make an offer for a discounted hotel, but mm-hmm. got twice as long of a trip, two more nights. And I'm guessing two more days in the theme parks, Jim. Okay. I, th- this has got to be a wash in terms of net revenue. Well, I remember, I, but it's not just, you know, you, you get them in the park for two more days. You you also, mm-hmm. they are buying meals in the park. They are they right. are being walked by merch. Genie Plus, individual lightning lane, right? Yeah. There we go. Yeah. There are all sorts of different bites of the apple they can get here because the a two-day trip became a four-day trip, so... Exactly. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. So this is a great survey by Disney, actually. And mm-hmm. one of the uh, one of the best ones we've seen from them in a long time. And I really love the uh, the question choices. Man, I would pay money to see what these results are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, Jim, let's go on to listener questions. Here's one from Shannon. I absolutely love the Disney Dish podcast. It makes my commute to and from work so much more enjoyable. While listening to episode 400 in my car, I was bemused by the story of Siri being activated during a previous episode when someone said, I seriously considered. Oh, how I laughed. <laughs> And then Len mentioned that this reminded him of the ex-KCD comic character, Randall, who enjoys walking into people's homes and saying, Alexa, order 1,000 avocados, confirm. I actually have an Alexa Echo Auto installed in my car, and Alexa immediately activated, and I panicked. (laughs) Happily, Alexa said, I can only order 12, please confirm via the app, when it is safe to do so. I am thrilled to report, Shannon writes, that I neither have 12 nor 1,000 avocados currently on the way to my house, so crisis averted. In the spirit of Lane's campaign of positivity, I will say that if 1,000 avocados did find their way to my doorstep, I would have been delighted to invite you and Jim over for a food service tote of guacamole. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Use the power for good, Jim, not evil. Use the power for good, not evil. All right. Okay. You can remember that. Mm Mm-hmm. In the spirit of technical glitches, our mm-hmm. Twitter friend Parklore mm-hmm. uh, sent this in this week. He said, uh, Len, I think you've mentioned this before on the Disney Dish podcast, mm-hmm. but after my most recent Walt Disney World visit, the Walt Disney World survey that I got doesn't let you say that you did not use early entry. Even in previous questions, I indicated that I didn't use it. So it's not a matter of cascading linked questions. Mm-hmm. And the question is this uh, on the Disney survey. How many times did you take advantage of the following benefits during this trip? Early theme park entry. And there's a little number. Mm -hmm. And Park Lore tried to put in zero. And the error message that comes back on the screen when you put in zero is, the answer is outside the valid range for this question. (laughs) (laughs) Again, 100% utilization for early theme park entry. Fantastic. Everyone's doing a great job. (laughs) Okay. Again, one of these moments where you hope the guy in IT is listening because they need that info. They actually do <laughs> Manage, need that Management info. is saying we somehow managed to achieve 100% guest use. And nobody questions Of early that. theme park entry. Because I look at that. You and I went over the Disney Wish survey results, the mm-hmm. Disney dish on the Disney Wish survey results. And there was only one question. Mm-hmm. And I forget what it was, where, where we got 100% satisfaction on it. And I think it was, I think it was actually the show, the uh the main show we did on Pirates of the Caribbean, where every single person who who went to the show liked it. Because mm-hmm. if I saw that over and over again, yeah. I'd be like, something's wrong with the form. <laughs> I don't know. And, and, and more to the point, there's got to be people in Walt Disney World management who have teenagers. And it's a notion right. of, oh, hey, we're early entry to the park. Yeah, early entry. I'll see what one. Possibly yes, two. Exactly. I wonder if you put 99, would that be an indication mm. for the people who wrote the survey to look at it and say, Ooh, like how do, how is that possible? Yeah. Okay, there we go. Anyway, you know, all right. Again, if you're a, if you're a member of a Disney survey team and you want to send these results around, mm-hmm. results of any survey along, please uh, please let me know. 
Folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we return, Jim continues the story of when McDonald's proposed a new attraction for Disneyland. We'll be right back. Do you feel like you need a bit more magic in your life? Why not give Storybook Destinations a try? Storybook Destinations is an authorized Disney vacation planner, and all of their counselors who work for this full-service travel agency have received extensive training when it comes to the Disney theme parks, resorts, cruises, vacation packages, and more. These travel professionals have years of experience when it comes to planning customized Disney vacations, which is why you can always book with confidence when it's the Storybook Destination team that's helping you find the vacation of your dreams. Best of all, they offer their booking and planning services at no cost to you. So if you're once again ready to travel, why not learn more about what Storybook Destination has to offer by visiting their website, www.storybookdestinations.com. Okay, Thanksgiving's now in the rearview. Christmas, Kwanzaa, and Hanukkah are coming up fast. And if you're like me, you've been thinking a lot about holiday shopping, but haven't actually gotten around to doing it yet. Now, let's be honest here, shopping for some of our relatives can be, well, the polite way of saying this is a challenge. But you and I both know the more appropriate turn of phrase is huge pain in the butt. Take, for example, my mom, who turns 91 this coming February. She still lives in her own home, and going into this holiday season, my mom has flat out told my brothers and I that she doesn't want any new things for Christmas this year. Because things, eh, well, you have to dust them, and, and then you have to get rid of some of the things you already have, so you then have room for the new things you just got. But I think I found a workaround for this no-new-things rule that Mom laid down as we headed into the 2022 holiday season, and that is StoryWorth. StoryWorth is this terrific service that helps your loved ones document important memories from their lifetime in a way that's fun and easy. The way they do this is every week, StoryWorth will email your loved one a single life-related question that you get to pick from their collection. Like, what's the bravest thing you've ever done? Or, or what's the farthest you've ever traveled? And then all your loved one needs to do is reply with a story. Then, after a year, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories, memories, and even any photos they've shared into an exquisite hardcover book, which then creates this valued keepsake. Which, if your mom is anything like my mom, this hardcover book will then be proudly displayed on the coffee table right there in the living room, and it won't ever get dusty because every time friends and family come to visit, this valued keepsake is going to get picked up and cracked open, just so people can then read the stories that mom has shared. Millions of stories have already been told with StoryWorth, and that's because they make the process so simple. So why not get started with your loved one this holiday season, and before you know it, you'll have a keepsake book of your own full of timeless stories that you can then share for generations yet to come. Though I have to wonder what future generation of hills will make of my mother's stories about how the kids in her old neighborhood in Boston used to tease my mom and her sister Lorna by saying they look like the Campbell Soup Kids. Help your family share their stories this holiday season with StoryWorth. Go to storyworth.com slash Dish today and save $10 off your first purchase. That's S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash Disney Dish to save $10 on your first purchase. StoryWorth.com slash Disney Dish. We thank them for sponsoring today's show. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Tis the season to be stressed out. Look, I don't know about you folks, but it's always during this time of year, between trying to meet all of my work obligations coupled with wanting to do right by friends and family as we head into the holidays, that in spite of my best efforts, I still find myself falling short. 
And it's moments like this that I think, wouldn't it be great if life came with a user manual? Something that could then help us navigate through life's little challenges and not so little challenges. Things like a career change or, or embarking on a new relationship or, or becoming a parent. If you're feeling unsettled or unsure as you head into the holiday season, maybe it's time you talk with someone like the therapist at BetterHelp Online Therapy. The therapists at BetterHelp are trained to help you figure out the cause of those challenging emotions that might be making you feel stuck. More to the point, they can help you develop the sort of productive coping skills that you'll want to have as you face down seasonal stressors like, ooh, those holiday meals with the family. Look, I'm a big believer in the benefits of therapy, and, and that comes from personal experience. And the fact that with BetterHelp Online Therapy, there's no waiting rooms. There's no battling traffic as you go to and from your sessions. That's a huge positive for me. As for how BetterHelp matches you with a therapist, they'll just have you fill out a brief questionnaire. And if things aren't clicking between you two, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. The process couldn't be simpler. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash DisneyDish. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash DisneyDish. We thank them for sponsoring today's show. All right, Jim, in the last show, we had talked about the history of Walt Disney and Ray Kroc personally, how they both served in Red Cross units in World War I, and how in the 1950s, um, McDonald's had written to Disney and said, maybe we could do something in the parks. And that didn't work out originally, right? It did not. It did not. And again, Ray sort of expressed his frustration with he was ready to come into the Disney parks and he met with the gentleman who was in charge of food concessions at Disneyland to bring his speedy service system into the park, which meant that they could move hundreds of hamburgers and cheeseburgers and french fries and, and shakes and get them out to customers at an affordable price in the park. And the gentleman who was in charge of concessions at the park supposedly asked Ray to raise his prices by a nickel, and that mm -hmm. would then be Disney's perk for allowing Ray to come into the park. And he supposedly turned Disney down because of this. And and again, I've asked about this story in multiple different directions, and it's kind of a complicated situation in that Disney didn't control food concessions in the park till the 19, I want to say 1960. That's when they, they finally bought out ABC Paramount. And even right. then, I want to say that as terms of the buyout deal, that ABC Paramount was still allowed to run food concessions in the park for another three years. So what was kind of interesting is Ray had a chip on his shoulder in regard to Disney after this for, for quite a number of years. In fact, another thing, Ray decided, okay, I can't be in Disneyland. I'll build a Disneyland. And Len, have you ever heard about the Western World Project? No, Western, uh, no, was it, this is not Westworld. No, no, no. Western, Western World. World. Ray actually bought 1,500 acres of land northeast 
of Los Angeles. And the idea was that he wanted to build sort of a, a Walt Disney World rather than a Disneyland. It was going to be a theme park and hotels and a golf course, all built around a, a Western theme. And by God, when you visited this place, people who wrote in this past week all have such fond memories of the Westward Ho fry cart. And yep. this was going to be a Western theme park where it's like, you, you go into the saloon and I, can I set you up with a Big Mac, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and a sarsaparilla while we're at it. By this point in Ray's career, he had a board of directors and there were shareholders. And in order to move forward with this project, he had to have the board sign off on it. And the board kind of turned its head to the side. And it's like, we are very good at what we do. You know, Ray, we sell fast food to people. I don't know if we really want to be in the theme park business. So this project eventually falls by the wayside. But again, as we were talking last week, we had Stephen uh, Prudnik, uh, who had reached out from, uh, he represented the, the 430 franchisees who were in the Southland market at Disneyland, uh, around Disneyland in Southern California. And he was like, ooh, I've heard about this. The, the future is now. Uh, kind of, he got confused. He was trying to get in on the blast of the past thing that Disneyland was planning on doing in, right. in the, the late winter, early spring of 88. And so what he was proposing was building, uh, a t a temporarily building a, a 1950s, 1960s style McDonald's right inside the park. They said no at that time, but then began having a conversation about, well, how is it, how can Disneyland and the Southland franchisees begin working together? Right. So no on this idea, but maybe something else. There we go. Starting in 1983... It was Dick Nunes who had been asking for a flume ride for the Disney parks. The thing of it is, it was an expensive proposition you know, to build a flume ride inside of Disneyland. But it was, it, you know, the notion was like, ooh, we have these franchisees interested in coming into the Disney park. And let's show them Splash Mountain. And fascinating story here, Len. They did agree to become the sponsors of this attraction at Disneyland. In fact, if you poke around online, folks, you can actually find the Splash Mountain McDonald's presentation books where it, it shows, for example, as you Ooh. entered the land, you'd walk under a marquee with the McDonald's logo on it. The Hungry Bear restaurant would have been changed over to the McDonald's menu. And when they began construction on Splash Mountain in 1987, there was a handshake deal here. In October of 1987, literally almost in the same window of time as McDonald's agreed, okay, we're going to do this. There's an earthquake. It's a 5.9. It's centered southeast of Pasadena. And it does $358 million worth of damage. What ends up happening is the price of concrete and the price of steel suddenly skyrockets, which changes the financials. And this is then coupled by the fact that Splash Mountain was supposed to open for Thanksgiving of 88. And by the summer of 88, they began to realize, ooh, we have some problems. In fact, it was a case of the Imagineers outsmarting themselves. Tony had learned, for example, that a water-based ride like Small World or Pirates of the Caribbean, every couple of years, they'd have to go in and address wood rot. 
because yep. of the whole notion of okay, we've you know the, we've got water coming out of the trough, which which gets in the sets, and so they thought, oh, yep. we'll be clever this time. We'll build the sets. We'll sculpt them out of concrete, so we won't ever have to do that sort of maintenance where we have to shut down the road. <laughs> or if you do, it'll require jackhammers. <laughs> there we go. There we go. And that, that's when they found out the hard way that they needed to adjust the angle of the drop down Chickapin Hill. Just a little. This is in the days before computer modeling. Yeah, it was not a happy time. And it was kind of a rerun of, mm. well, actually a precursor of, of what happened with, uh, remember how G GM wasn't just supposed to sponsor Test Track, it was actually supposed to also sponsor Rocket Rods at Disneyland as part of their new Tomorrowland. And, yeah, and, and they had money for one in the end, right? Well, um, more to the point that there was a delay and a, an expensive redo of the attraction. And as a result, GM got mad and took its money that it had for or set aside for Rocket Rods and took it home. And and same mm. thing with the, the franchisees. You know, it's like, well, if you're going to be this way, that you know, we were promised one point, price point, you're coming for, for more money, and they, we're walking away. And so that's why Splash Round at Disneyland opened with no sponsor. But uh, what's interesting is by then, though, the national McDonald's, not just the, the franchisees in Southern California, they were working with Disney. And, and during oh. this same period, we see our first Disney toys pop up in Happy Meals. And, you know, for example, in, oh, in 87, yeah. as part of the 50th anniversary celebration of Snow White, we see toys there. Or in uh, 89, as uh, Disney is decided for the first time they're going to put Cinderella out on VHS. This is where you could go to your local McDonald's and if you bought those McDonald's gift certificates, if you bought $5 packet, you would have your choice between you could buy, have a Jacques or a Gus Christmas ornament. Oh, and, and uh, let's not forget, wasn't, the, uh, wasn't there a 1986 promotion where McDonald's was selling Coca-Colas in the 25th anniversary Walt Disney World glasses. Remember those, like sets of four? Yeah. With Disney and McDonald's, there was a desire to do business. But at the same time, you also have to understand, Michael Eisner is, is this very ambitious man and wants the company to move in different directions, to try different things. Which brings us to the next thing that kind of stuck on in McDonald's craw. Are you familiar with Mickey's Kitchen? No. In April of 1990... At the Montclair Place Mall in Montclair, California, Disney opened, again, they had a Disney store there already, but right mm -hmm. next door to that Disney store, they built a Mickey's Kitchen. Uh, it was a fast food restaurant. In a mall. In a mall. But there is no wall between the Mickey's Kitchen and the Disney store. In fact, the kitchen is against the far wall of the restaurant, but mm -hmm. the place where the, the guests can sit is three feet up and looks down directly into the Disney store with the idea that as you're sitting there eating, you're like, oh, look at that plush doll or oh, look at that collectible. As soon as I finish eating here, I'm going to go buy that. I mean, we see something similar with Pinocchio Village House looking out at It's a Small World. There we go. I get the idea. It's, it's super clever. In a mall. In a mall. And it definitely jumped sales at that Disney store. And and the notion okay. was like, ooh, we can now take this as a package to malls around the country. In fact, yeah. they went so far as to – they got a second location opened up in uh, Schwamberg, uh, Illinois, northeast of Chicago. And by the way, remember <laughs> McDonald's corporate headquarters. Corporate, I was going to say. Yeah, right there in, in Oak Park. 
awkward. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and at the same time, this is during the period where Disney Studios and McDonald's mm-hmm. are doing things like, you know, that November of 89, that they had the Little Mermaid uh, bat toys and the selection of Christmas ornaments if you bought the uh, McDonald's certificates. And our first Mickey's Kitchen opens in April of 90. Okay. June of 90, McDonald's does a big push for Dick Tracy, Disney's mm. big summer release of that year, which really underperforms at the box office. And, and ah. so franchisees are stuck with all of these McDonald's toys queuing off of Dick Tracy that nobody wants. All right. So let me, let me ask this question, then, Jim. Mm-hmm. How did consumers receive these two Mickey's Kitchen restaurants? Were they popular? When the first one opened up in April of 1990, 25,000 people showed up that day. <laughs> and it, it has seats for how many? Uh, 190 people. <laughs> again, this is this is the Taylor Swift thing all over again. No, no, no that's it exactly. It's so- <laughs> all right. So McDonald's is looking at this saying, you're, you're opening up a competing restaurant concept in our backyard. You've given us, we've got all these Dick Tracy Happy Meal things that we're going to need to ship off to Kenya because we're never going to be able to to sell them here. What are you guys doing for us? And, and, and remember, they're the same ones who had been putting the bill for, for Splash Mountain and sure. didn't right. get a ride. So yeah. there were some words exchanged. <laughs> Mind okay. you, Burger King has been sitting here this whole time and looking at the very thing that you were talking about, how well the increase in business they would do when mm-hmm. they do things like sell the 25th anniversary glasses or, yeah. you know, for that matter, when they had the Little Mermaid toys or the, or the Oliver, you know, in company sure. toys. And Burger King literally raises its hands and like, hey, if you're not happy with McDonald's, come over here. And... McDonald's franchisees around the country looked on as horror as the second golden age of Disney animation begins. Literally the very first film that Burger King now does kids club meal toys for, November 1991, Beauty and the Beast. The biggest hit that Disney had in in animation in a generation, the first film to be nominated for a best, you know, animated film to be nominated for a best picture Oscar. And then, Len, the hits just keep coming. 1991, of course, is the 25th anniversary of Walt Disney World. So they do several set of toys that key off of that. Then, November of 92, it's Aladdin, which is the film that surpasses the box office for Beauty and the Beast. And they move mountains of Burger King Kid Club meal. And then, summer of 1994, here comes The Lion King. Uh, a Disney hit that blots out the sun. And the McDonald's franchisees at this point basically turn on McDonald's management. And it's like, you idiots, let Disney slip away. And we are losing metric tons of business to Burger King because you dummies, you know, got upset over Dick Tracy. It's like, fix this. Fix this. Yeah. And, and, And they realize that kids make the decisions around which fast food franchises to go to. Right? Oh, no, 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 absolutely. And, and the fact that it's like, oh, you know, I want to go to the place that has the Beauty and Beast toys, the Aladdin toys. Yeah, sure. It doesn't matter what's handed through the window. I want the toy. <laughs> the food is secondary. A chicken nugget is a chicken nugget, right? So finally, McDonald's, you know, through back channels, it's like, can we talk? <laughs> Mickey and Ronald, they get them in a back room together. You know, they get them liquored up. Things will be fine. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. 
May 1996, the McDonald's Corporation and the Walt Disney Company announced an unprecedented 10-year multi-divisional, multinational relationship, which will get underway in January of 1997. This deal links Disney's theatrical releases, its theme parks, its video releases to Happy Meal Toys and other in-store promotions. And this will run through January of 2007, and we will finally get a McDonald's-sponsored attraction. But it's not going to be Splash Mountain. It's (laughs) going to be in Animal Kingdom. And we'll get to the details of that attraction and finally talk about those fry court, uh, you know, that that, that Westward Ho, the fry court, uh, (laughs) on the very next installment of Disney Dish. And And appropriately enough, it's the one that we're going to record the week of Thanksgiving. There we go. There we go. So, yeah, and I'll be sitting here with a bowl of gorp, you know, so. <laughs> it just doesn't sound appetizing. Oh, yeah. Yes. All right. I'm sure, I'm sure it tastes better than it sounds. Uh, no, it doesn't. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> All right, folks, that's going to do it for the show today. You can help support our show and Jimmy Hill Media by subscribing over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. We're working on a series about Cars Land in DCA. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, Len, at touringplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who will be showcasing his latest trellis, tile, and pool designs at the 2023 Suburban Indie Winter Home and Outdoor Living Show, February 10th through the 12th, 2023. For legal reasons, I'm guessing, in 2023, the city of Indianapolis will be located in the town of Westfield, Indiana, because that's where the Winter Home and Outdoor Living Show will be held at the Grand Parks Event Center in beautiful downtown Westfield, Indiana. While Aaron's doing that, please go onto iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. And for each week in November, we'll be giving away a free Disney Dish t-shirt to one lucky iTunes reviewer drawn at random. Congratulations to this week's winner, Peggy Teal, who wrote, I always enjoy each episode of this podcast. I love the inside scoop and the news and discussions of all things Disney. The banter between Jim and Len is always entertaining. The jokes are funny and the stories are fascinating. Jim, I'm not sure about that last sentence, but thank you so much for that. <laughs> for that this is true. This is true. Uh, do me a favor, folks, and uh, please send me a copy of your review so that I have your email address, len at touringplans.com, and thanks for those reviews. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show. <laughs>